Y'all, church, we serve a faithful God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat and welcome to Northridge Church. I can't tell you how honored and excited we are uh, to have you here this morning. Welcome home to each and every one of you. And and last week, we, we began this conversation. This conversation on a really relevant topic for the season that we're in is the topic of change. Because when we start a new year, we're, we're all hoping, we're all believing, and we're all trying to achieve change. The question is, how do we change? And why is change so hard to grasp, and not just grasp, but hold on to? So we're looking for change. Let me ask you, let me, let me take you somewhere. Let's go back in your life. Let's go back to a place in your life, a moment, a, a season where you personally experience change. Right? A moment in your life where you were transformed, where something about you is now different because of that season in your life. Maybe it was a, a physical thing where that, that diet turned into a lifestyle, where that weight loss stayed, or maybe it was a, a spiritual moment where you grew closer to God and that transformed who you were. So a moment in your life, in your past, where you changed, and let me just ask you this. What caused that change? What were the factors in your life that helped you achieve and be successful with change? Because I think there's a lot of factors in life that help us achieve change. But I think maybe one of the most powerful one is people. I just believe that we don't change in isolation. I believe that if we're truly going to change spiritually, mentally, mentally, physically, that we're going to need people in our life who are going to push us to that change, hold us accountable to that change, pick us up when we want to give up, and move us in that direction. And last week, we, we started this series. It's called Habits for Change. And we said it doesn't matter what you're trying to change this year. Right? We're all looking at the end of 2022 and hoping that something is different about us. And it doesn't matter what that is because all change really starts at the exact same place. It starts with us becoming godly men and women and developing habits that will continue that journey so God can change us in the areas we need changed. And so here's what I know about my life and your life. You want change, I want change, but we need the right habits in our life to get us there, to get us to the change that we desire. Because we all have habits in our life, whether we recognize it or not, and those habits are actually producing who we become. I love what Gretchen Rubin says about this in her book. Uh, Bradley Files shared this quote in, in our podcast this week. Look what she says. She says, habits are the invisible architect of daily life. You see, I don't often think we think about this because I think most of us, we have a ton of habits in our life. We just don't realize they're habits. Things that we do consistently, daily, regularly, throughout our week, those are the habits. And those habits, Gretchen Rubin says, are actually the designer, the builder, the architect of who we actually become. So that's what this whole series is about, developing the right habits to train us to be godly so we produce the change God wants. And last week we started with the first habit, the habit of prayer. The habit of of talking with God regularly in spontaneous ways and in schedule ways throughout our week. And and I challenged you, 40 days. I challenged our church, 40 days of prayer. And I love how our church responded. We had 600 people say, hey, for 40 days, I'm going to get on my knees. For 40 days, I'm going to be about prayer and build this habit in my life. 
And for some of you, you also took the challenge for the last seven days, today's the last day of a fast, where you said for seven days, I'm gonna give something I depend on and so I can focus on talking with God. And so we got 33 more days of prayer. Uh, really, we got a lifetime of prayer, but 30 days in this challenge. If, if you kind of slipped up, it's okay. Let's jump back in. And we're gonna continue developing more habits. So if you got your Bibles, Ecclesiastes chapter four. Ecclesiastes chapter four is where we're going to be today. Grab your device. You can go ahead and turn there. Chapter four is where we're going to be. We're going to start in verse seven. And before we, we, we dive into to the, to the Bible here, I want to give you a backdrop on the book, right? Ecclesiastes is, is not a really that common of a book, and it's written by King Solomon. And one thing you might know about King Solomon, you might not, is he was one of the wisest uh, persons to ever walk on the face of the earth. And the reason for that is because Solomon was granted wisdom by God. He asked for it and God gave it to him. And so as a ruler, as a king, people around the region would come to hear Solomon's wisdom on life and choices and decisions. And so Solomon, in this pursuit, in, in Ecclesiastes chapter four, he's pursuing in life things that have meaning, things that really matter in life. And here's what's interesting. As he's trying to find those things, he has to dredge through the meaningless things to find the meaningful things. And so we're going to pick it up in verse seven. He says this, again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. And so you can almost hear the frustration in, in Solomon's voice and words. He says, again, I'm interacting in this pursuit for meaningful things. I'm interacting with a lot of meaningless things. So he says, I found another one, and he's going to describe it for us. He says in verse 8, there was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. And so Solomon finds another meaningless thing, and he describes it for us. He says, I found a man, and he was all alone. He didn't have family or friends, and yet he was a man who put his life and his energy into work and became somewhat of a wealthy man. But the problem was, is he couldn't enjoy that wealth because he was alone. And so here's what, what Solomon is getting after right at the beginning of this passage. He says, one thing we have to understand is being alone is a miserable business. When we live our lives isolated from people and in relationships, we're going to live miserable lives like the man Solomon describes. And come on, guys. If, if there's anything that we learned over the last two years, it's this. Right? Because we have felt and dealt with isolation. Some of it we've been forced into and some of it we've chosen on our own behalf. And here's what not only should the church know, just regular humanity, but the world, that isolation is not good. In fact, according to research, uh, the studies from the New York Times, they, they looked at people's lives from 2020 to 2021 and here's what they rec recognized, that the, the average person gave up 300 hours of in-person time with family and friends and traded it in over the year for digital stuff. Staring at a screen, Zooming, FaceTiming. And so we, we felt this weight of isolation over the last two years. Solomon says it isn't good, but what have we learned? Well, we've learned what Solomon says is true because guess what's happening in our society? Mental health issues are skyrocketing. Suicide is way up. 
Depression is wreaking havoc in people's lives. Why? Because what Solomon said 2,000 years ago is true today. That being alone, living a life in isolation is miserable. Now, I want to pause here because I think we can have attention here because some of you listening, you're introverts. And you're like, wait, hold on a second. Is there something wrong with my personality? Like, I enjoy kind of being alone. But here's what I know to be true about introverts. Like, sometimes we feel bad because we want to be the life of the party, the, the extrovert. But a lot of introverts have depth of relationships that introverts have never experienced. And so if you are an introvert, that's not, I'm not saying your, your personality, the way you go about life is wrong. What I'm saying, what Solomon is saying here is that it's important that we do have relationships, that we don't live in isolation. And we know this to be true because this is the, God, the way God created us. This is the way God designed us from the very beginning. The first book of the Bible, Genesis, we see God's creation account. And as he looks at his creation account, he's like, yeah, that's good. Ooh, that's, that's good. Okay, that's good. Well, that's very good. But he also notices something that isn't good. Genesis 2, look what it says. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. Now, we, many of us just assume this is a marriage passage. So man's alone. He should get married. All of his problems are solved. We found that's not true, right? <laughs> Okay, I'm just making sure you're with me. This is not a marriage passage where, where God looks at he, Adam and he's like, oh, marriage will fix everything. I don't know why, but some single people believe that. If I could just find Mr. Forever, all my life problems will, will get better. No, actually, they probably get bigger, actually. This is a passage where God looks at his creation and he says, I've created you, I've made you, and I know what's best for you. And you know what's best for you? Not isolation, but living in relationships. But here's what's crazy. This is not a newsflash to anybody. We know this. No one's like, wow, never saw that one coming. But yet, in our society today, we often choose isolation. Right? It's crazy to me, but if you, if you really study humanity right now, and, and throughout the last 10 years, we choose isolation so many times. Let me talk about ways we do. One of the greatest isolators is something that you carry in your pocket or in your purse regularly. It's your cell phone. It's the technology. I'm amazed in my own house, I find myself so many times sitting around on the couch, my wife, my kids, what am I doing? I'm staring at a screen. What is my wife doing? Staring at a screen. What are my kids doing? Wishing they could stare at a screen. <laughs> right, no one's talking, no one's interacting. Usually the kids are like, pay attention to us and I'm just scrolling through. You go into anywhere in society, a Starbucks, a mall, or wherever, and if you walk in, you don't see people usually casually conversing. No, you see people looking at screens, doing work, scrolling through whatever they scroll through, and it isolates us. We're always on Netflix, the internet, something to look at digitally. You know, also isolates us is fear. So many people today in society are so afraid, full of fear for so many reasons, and that fear drives you to be alone, to stay safe. You, we feel safe alone. If we can just control every environment, we will be safe, but really, it isolates us. You know what also isolates us? Being burned by somebody. Many of you have, have tried relationships, and you went for it. You put yourself out there, but somebody hurt you. And it caused you to, to take a step back and build walls, these walls of I don't really trust anybody. And we think these walls of, of lack of trust will protect us, but they actually keep us from the relationships God wants to give us. It isolates us. You know what also isolates us? The divisions in our culture. 
Now we used to be able to disagree and still come together, but not anymore. We, there's so many topics today that we can't even talk about with our friends, our family, our church people, because we're afraid that if we talk about that topic, it's going to divide us and isolate us. I've seen it throughout the church, throughout family members. Is Man, they don't even get together anymore because of a divisive topic. And what are those divisive topics culturally done? They've isolated us. Solomon says, hey, being alone is miserable. It's an awful life. Look at this God's life. And yet so many times we choose isolation. But Solomon changes gears. He says, hey, being alone is miserable. Well, let me show you a better way. Verse nine, he says, two are better than one because they have a good return on their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. And so Solomon shifts gears. He says, being alone is miserable. But then he gets at this point. He says, hey, you gotta understand we are better together. When we live connected relationally, it is actually to the benefit of our health, emotionally, physically, we're better together. And he doesn't make this claim like, hey, life is better, two are better than one, and just leave it at that. No, he gives you the evidence of that. He shows you the benefits of living in relationships. The first thing he says is, you get a better return on your labor. I mean, we get this. This is practically common sense because maybe you've been there before. You have a job to do and you're all alone. And as you're doing that job, you realize all alone how agonizingly slow it is. And you realize if I just had a couple friends here, this would go so much faster. We have expressions for this. Many hands make, okay, not light voices, light work, okay? (laughs) See what I did there? That's pretty good. It was on my toes. I'm ready for you. I know you're up late watching the Bills just defeat the Patriots, but come on, we're in church today, all right? All right, okay, just making sure you're with me. I knew if I said Bills, somebody would wake up. You get a better return on your labor. You get more done in a group than you do alone. And I get this, because I love to do construction projects around the house. My wife knows I like it, so she keeps a pretty long list for me. And so there are so many times where I run into a job where I just can't do it alone. I've recognized that once your board gets about six feet long or longer, it becomes really hard to hold it level and in the right spot and grab your nail gun or your screw and then screw it in. And so there are so many times where I have to invite a friend to help me or I'm asking my wife to come or I'm just praying Malachi's tall enough to hold the board in place. because you get a better return for your labor. So many times people ask me, what's, what's the best thing about having like a best friend or living in a marriage with the best friend? And you know, there's so many answers to that question, but I think one of the best things about having a really close relationship, whether it's a spouse or, or a best friend, a boyfriend or girlfriend, is just being able to share the experiences of life together. Have you ever experienced something amazing? All alone and you went to explain it to somebody in in vivid detail. You tried to create the imagery and the emotion that you experienced and they just didn't get it because they weren't there. It's really frustrating. But imagine this, imagine watching your team win the Super Bowl with people you love who were cheering for that same team. And Bills, after what I saw last night, it could be our year, right? (laughs) Cowboys play today, please, Lord, help us. Can you imagine, right, going on that vacation? And seeing that sunset, and it's just better with somebody to share it with. When you struggle 
You're dealing with a hard time. It's just better to have someone who's there for you. When you have a bad day at work, in the office, at home, it's just better to have someone who will listen to you. And that's what Solomon's getting at here. He's like, man, life is miserable alone. We're better together. Let me give you a couple more examples. He says, verse 11, he says, also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And I love how the wisest guy in the world and the best illustration he can come up with two being better is cuddling. I mean, it's pretty relevant today in a zero degree you know, weather. Like, hey, if you get cold today, just find a friend. Cuddle up. Don't take that too far, okay? It's not what I'm saying. Who says cuddling isn't biblical either, right? It's right here. But he also says that, he also says that, you know, one person, they're easily attacked. But when you have a friend, you're easily defended. Back to back, you can see all around you. And so being alone is miserable. We're better together. And Solomon basically just says it really harshly. He says, pity someone who doesn't have someone. You should feel bad for someone who falls down and has no one to pick them up. And I think people in our society feel that today. I think some of you today are struggling and you don't know who to turn to. You don't have anybody. And that's not the way God designed it. And we're not gonna just pity you at the church, we're gonna provide a way out for you because we are better together. But here's what's interesting. So Solomon says, one is bad, two is good, but then he adds another layer that no one expected. He says, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So Solomon gets at something even deeper here because he says, yeah, two is good, but more than two is best, three is best. And what he's saying is, some of you living in a marriage today, that doesn't suffice for biblical community. Some of us as single people, we believe that if we could just get married, things would get better, and Solomon says no. Yes, living in, in friendship and marriage is great, but three, or more than three, is best for you. And so the bottom line he's getting at is you won't re reach your full potential alone. You know, in a season where we're thinking about change, we're praying for change, we wanna see change evident in our life. The reality is if you go about that change all alone, you're gonna fail. And you're gonna fail miserably. Solomon says you need somebody in your help. If you do it alone, you become the cap, the lid to actually who you can become. You need a community. And we, we, you know, this isn't like new to, to, to the church world or to God, right? Businesses all throughout our society build their business around this idea of community because our world, our society, our culture knows how valuable community is. And so we need to start building a habit in our lives or continue a habit in our lives of biblical community. We need the habit of biblical community and it's important that we use those two words because I think many of us today, we have community. We have friends, we have family, but do we have biblical community? And what's the difference? Well, let me define what biblical community is. We do at Northridge, we say biblical community is, is as simple as the ABCs because we define it by A, B, and C. Let me start. Biblical community is surrounding yourself with people who will help you apply the Bible. 
Right? Biblical community is all about getting with people, opening God's word, working through it, asking your questions, helping people guide you, direct you, lead you, ultimately so we don't become the most, the, like the smartest Christians in the world. No, we don't get puffed up with knowledge. We don't read God's word to just know it, but we read it to live it. So we need people who are gonna say, hey, you read that passage, how is it changing you? How's it making you a better father, better mother, better leader, better whatever it is that you do? You see, God's word is given to us so that we would spend time in it, we would read it, we're gonna talk about it more in detail next week, but that it would change us. It would transform our lives, and so biblical community is people, friends, family members who are gonna say and push you to look different because God's word is living in you. Secondly, apply the Bible, build relationships. And this is where I think biblical community gets a little haywire for us because you know, when you think about, man, I, I need biblical community, we automatically think we're gonna find our best friends and we're gonna do everything together and that expectation of the relationships we're gonna have actually can be a, a hard thing, a difficult thing, and it can actually destroy the community God wants to give you. In fact, I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says about this. He says, those who love their dream or their expectation of Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community, even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. And so what's interesting about biblical community is you're gonna have all kinds of relationships in it. And I wanna talk about three ways that we build relationships in certain relationships. The first type of relationship we're gonna have in biblical community is what we call social relationships. These are the type of relationships that are people that you know, but you don't really know. You, you know their name, but you don't really know their struggles. You haven't shared a ton of experiences with them. It's people like your neighbors, people who you, 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 you hang around somewhat regularly, but you don't know exactly what's going on in their life. We have a lot of social relationships. But then if you go deeper, the next relationship is personal relationships. This is people like some close friends, your, your family, and these are people who you know, and you might at some level know what they struggle with. You have a relationship with them, you hang out, and you do things regularly, but you don't know the depths of their soul. Many of us have a decent amount of personal relationships, but then there's another layer, what we call intimate relationships. This is the deepest form of relationship. This is your spouse, your accountability partner, your best friend. You know, most people believe that it takes around 200 hours of time and investment with that person to develop an intimate relationship. Most people only experience around one to three of these in their entire life. And so when it comes to biblical community and building relationships, we can't just expect that everybody in our community is gonna be an intimate relationship. No, we're gonna have all different types of relationships that help make us better. And so we're gonna apply the Bible in biblical community, we're gonna build relationships and see, we're gonna care for one another. And you know, when it comes to care, I think there's an element that we get really good, we're really good at, and then there's an element that I think we often miss. When it comes to caring for people in your community, I think the obvious one that we often get right is that caring means I'm gonna be there for people, right? We're good at this. 
So in our community, when someone has a high in their life, we, 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 we celebrate it. When there's a birth of a baby or when someone wins a championship, we're there and we're celebrating. We're like, this is awesome, I'm with you. And when somebody has a low, when they're mourning, they're grieving, we're there to pray, to comfort to hug them, we're caring for them. It's as simple as sending text messages, writing a card, making a meal, that's how we care. And I think we are really good at that as humanity, right? We care for people who are close to us. But there's another side of care that I think is, is maybe even more important than that side that will actually produce change in our lives. It's the side of care that isn't fun or isn't easy. It's holding each other accountable, right? This isn't something we love to do, whether you're the receiver or the giver, both jobs are difficult. But if you truly care for somebody, if you truly love somebody, won't you challenge them? When they walk away and they live in rebellion, if you love them enough, you'll call them out for it in a gracious and a loving and a kind way. You see, I believe accountability, that type of care in our communities is the very thing that will help us achieve the change that we want. Because if you go back in your life and you recognize that moment, that season where you did change, I would bet the majority, if not all of those times, you had somebody when you were ready to give up, throw in the towel, who pushed you to get back up, who held you accountable and said, you want this and I'm here to help you get it. So Solomon says to us, being alone is miserable. Two is better than one, but a community, a biblical community in your life is best. So we need to develop this habit. And so how do we get there? I think there's two steps that we can take, two challenges I have for you. I think for the minority of us in this church, we need to simply get biblical community. You see, what I love about this church is we will not let you get comfortable in a row. We will push you to a circle. We will push you to a home and to a relationship because it matters to us. This church is not built on the crowd, it's built on the group. It's built on relationships that will help you live in biblical community. And here's the reality, if you don't like this message, I got bad news for you, you're gonna hear it about every six months. It's just the nature of it, right? This is, you, I'm just telling you the truth. Like we, we don't want you to show up to a church where you're not known and you're not loved. That's why we say welcome home because we actually care enough about you to say we won't let you just show up on Sunday and be like, yeah, that's good. No, we're gonna push you somewhere else so people will know you and care for you and help you grow spiritually. We desire that for you. And so honestly, if you just wanna show up on Sunday and be like, yeah, I'm part of the crowd, that's not what we want for you. This probably isn't the church for you because we're gonna constantly be like, hey, are you in a group? Are you experiencing biblical community? And guess what? You're gonna grow tired of hearing it. And so can we just like forget the excuses? I know we have tons of them. I hear them all the time. I know some of you, you stepped out of biblical community, maybe for a break, a season, and that's okay. But now it's time, if you're not in biblical community, to get in. And we made it easy. Right, this is not difficult. You just have to go to a webpage, iwant.info. You give us your information. You're not in a group. You're not in biblical community. And just click the banner, I want a community group, and we'll do the heavy lifting for you. We'll follow up with you. We'll find the right place for you to go to, to experience healthy relationships, a place that will help you grow spiritually, and you'll be cared for. We desire that for you. And so 
Why not? We're starting a brand new trimester. So every group is starting. We got leaders and homes available to you that would love to have you. So let's jump in. If that's you, go to I want that info. Let us know. We will help you get there. But here's what I know. Many of our church is actually in groups. We're experiencing biblical community. And you probably love this message because you're like, man, sweet. I'm in a group. I'm leading a group. I can go home today and watch football and be like, yeah. I got that one down, sweet, awesome. Feels good, doesn't it? But there's a side to biblical community that I think we often overlook because the truth is, is we don't get biblical community unless somebody's willing to give biblical community. And so let me challenge our group leaders. Let me challenge those of you who show up to group regularly. Someone listening today needs you to give them community. Someone here listening today is struggling and doesn't know where to turn and they're going to try a community group, maybe yours, and they're going to need you to give an open house, a warm hug, a challenging environment to help them change. And that doesn't happen unless you give it. I just want to challenge those of you who show up each and every week to take it up a notch in giving community to people who desperately need it. What does that look like? Well, maybe in this 40 days of prayer, building the habit of prayer, we include giving community where this week when we go to group, we write everybody's name down in our group and we commit during the 40 days of prayer to pray for each individual. That'll give community. Or maybe it's, you know what, when you have conversations, it's being vulnerable, not acting like your life is perfect and you're the best Christian on the earth, but being like, yeah, guys, I struggle and here's what I'm struggling with. And maybe that will inspire somebody else to speak. Or maybe it's as simple as, hey, you know what? I'm going to pour into one person, one guy or one girl in the group, and I'm going to meet outside. We're going to do breakfast or lunch regularly so I can pour my wisdom and help them grow spiritually. Maybe it's making meals for people in your group. Maybe it's sending encouraging texts or cards to your group. But would we be willing to go up a notch in giving community? And here's what's crazy. A byproduct of giving community is I think you'll experience community at a whole nother level. We want change. And yet, honestly, most of us, we struggle to change. Why is that? Because I don't think we have the right habits in our life. And I think a good start in building healthy, godly habits for you becoming a godly man and a godly woman is by spending time on your knees praying to God and surrounding yourself with people who will push you to God. And maybe those will be the initiators of the change that you want to see. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. And God, I'm thankful for the men and women at our church who give up their time, their energy, their homes to allow people to come and experience relationships, biblical relationships. Thank you for our group leaders and the people who invest in group regularly to help people walk closer with you, God. And I pray that you'd bless them for that. And God, I pray for the person who's checking out Northridge, who's been coming for a little bit, and and maybe for some reason they have had excuse after excuse not to jump into biblical community, but maybe this is the challenge. Maybe this is the moment where they say, you know what, I'm gonna gonna sign up. I'm gonna give it a try. I'm gonna go for it. And I'm gonna experience something that I think, God, you want all of us to experience. And so God, as our groups start this week, I pray that you'd be with each and every home, each and every meeting. And God, I pray that the change that we are praying for, 
through our groups and through the challenges and the accountability that we have there, you would help us produce that. In Jesus' name.